Welcome again to the Dad Pod Games Cast, a show where two and sometimes three dads get together and talk about games, stuff adjacent to games, dad stuff, and or just trying to do this hobby while getting older and having less time. I'm one of your hosts today, Joe Owens, and as always, to my right, your virtual left, Eddie Rathke. Howdy. Eddie, how you doing? We are doing all right here. It was a, uh, it got cold again. Very random. Yeah, that was and, uh, warm as, not Warm fun. as heck. <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't understand like what's happening other than you know uh, clear signs of climate change, um, yeah. but uh, it's it's really hard on my body uh, now that I've gotten you know older and not necessarily wiser but definitely older because um, the cold is hard and then it warms up and my yeah. body's thinking it's going to be spring uh, and it super oh. isn't spring. <laughs> oh, uh, something else crazy happened that I guess kind of ties into House of Leaves a little bit. Yeah, um, let's do it. Hit me. Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, there was a triple murder suicide, uh, like two blocks from my house, which was oh. a uh, quite a scene. To I mean, I didn't see anything, but there were cops everywhere and like a, yeah. a SWAT team stuff. Because uh, it's basically this guy. Well, he was on a standoff with the police for several hours with his seven kids and wife inside. The police came to for like a uh, domestic abuse call. And yeah, then, uh, it yeah. Was the police always in... have to have to come. I'm sure Minnesota is like Nebraska, where if there's the potential for domestic violence, the police have to show up. Yeah, and so well, they were called. Yeah, so uh, and then uh, he there was some kind of long hours long negotiation or something, and then he shot two of the cops and one of the EMTs trying to uh, save the cop, and then uh, he shot like the, the the SWAT team truck. It was like riddled with bullet holes, and I was like, damn, what kind of gun does that guy have? But uh, something then he killed, auto or semi automatic, yeah, and then uh, he killed himself because. But the kids are, uh, I mean, they are oddly okay. I don't know if they'll ever, yeah, psychologically, they're, they're not ages, gonna be okay. Ages four to 13, so that 13 year old is going to definitely remember this for the rest of his life, right? Sadly, um, yeah, that's uh, both terrible and terrifying, um, yeah. Not, nothing like that uh, happened near me, thankfully. Um, it's just been uh, it's been it, it's been a crazy two weeks. I think since the last time uh, we recorded, um, my mother-in-law slipped on some ice and broke her hip. Uh, I finally uh, my luck ran out, and I finally caught COVID after four years, and uh, <laughs> that sucked. Um, I, I can't recommend uh, I can't recommend anybody putting getting COVID on their bucket list. Um, <clears throat> luckily, uh, I, I, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I, uh, uh, suffer from, uh, Crohn's disease in which I take, uh, every eight weeks I get, a in an infusion of a biologic, uh, medication that, uh, sort of, uh, compromises my immune system. So I've been, uh, pretty careful, uh, but, you know, kind of like when stuff hits the fan, uh, and like your family, like needs stuff, um, you know, uh, you, you get lax in your precautions and, um, you know, finally got sick. Uh, and man, uh, the, the, the worst part, uh, just like straight up has been like the fatigue. Um, did you, have you had COVID yet? Yeah, we had it. Um, when was it? 2021 when everyone had a uh, Omicron. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I made it through all of like, you know, the, the super bad ones luckily, because the, the way that I felt having it this time after being like fully vaxxed and boosted. And, uh, I was actually eligible because of my compromised immune status to get, uh, like the monoclonal antibody treatment as a, like a preventative, like a couple uh, years ago, uh, when that was pretty new. 
Um, and so, you know, I had just been really lucky. I, I you know, my hands are so dry uh, for like the last four years because I've been, I wash them all the time and hand sanitize them. It's almost like a, I pass by a sanitizer little, you know, machine that they have everywhere and I just get it. Like, it's just like a, like a thing that my brain just tells me I need to do. Um, but I think between, you know, back and forth to the hospital where you have millions and bazillions of germs uh, and things like that, like, uh, and not like, you know, I didn't wear a mask in the hospital, which that was probably dumb. Uh, like, you know, it finally it finally caught up to me. And so just trying to recover from that uh, COVID brain fog is is the is the real deal. Um, uh-huh. I don't recommend I don't recommend that at all. Um, but beyond that, it's just been pretty, pretty low key, just trying to maintain. Luckily, mother-in-law's got her uh, sisters have been alternating weeks. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what their plans are when like neither of them can come back up and she's not quite uh, ready uh, yeah. to do the solo, the solo living again. But uh, I don't know, man, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. Like you, you just got to kind of take stuff as it, as it comes, I think. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. House of leaves. We're going to wrap it up today. Um, I don't really have a, a, a time frame in mind. Uh, I think tentatively I was planning for about two hours, like last time. Uh, yeah, I think, I think so. that should, I think that should be enough to to get us through and uh, say all that we have to say. I, I I took more notes, I think, on this part than even the last part. But there was just so many like little things that uh, I, I don't know. We'll, we're, I'm going to kind of just gauge the flow of how things are going. Um, and then, uh, I, you know, some stuff just might not get, get talked about because it might not be uh, important for what for what we're doing. Um, yeah, though, curiously, um, just looking at Wikipedia for House of Leaves like basically right before we started talking. Yeah. Um, I found out two interesting pieces of information. First is that um, the first edition of house of leaves does not have the whales till letters. Interesting. Yeah. And ours, um, ours, ours definitely do. Uh, yes, but have, I feel like that, have, that, that removes a big chunk of context for people who read the very first edition. Um, yeah. And I think, and, uh, cause I checked for a PDF online. Cause I know a lot of people will uh, search for that. And like on archive.org, I think there's, the first edition is on there in a PDF, but I, mm-hmm. cause I think it was slightly different. So that if, if you're reading the the PDF from archive.org, you're, you're, you're apparently missing out. Yeah. And then, uh, apparently house of leaves was almost adapted into a TV show. And I mean, it would work as a TV show better than it would work as a movie. If you think of something like Fargo or true detective, something yeah. serialized like that. But curiously the, so uh, Daniel Lewski wrote three episodes, so there's three screenplays that exist, and you can get them from his website, and apparently, oh. they basically work as a sequel to House of Leaves. Oh, I would like, oh man, well, we'll talk about this later, I'm, I'm not real <laughs> sure how a sequel uh, could could or would work, because, uh, you know, uh, I think we've been pretty clear that we're spoiling the heck out of this, I mean, this is basically a spoiler cast, uh, more or less. Yeah, um, so the but, sequel, it... Uh, it sounds like it takes an interesting perspective, which is that um, basically it's treated, the book House of Leaves is treated by people in the sequel like a book of fiction. Yeah, I could see that. Well, and we'll talk so, about this because it, in the book, Navidson, it, when he makes his fifth, exp- well, when the fifth exploration happens, he didn't make all five uh, explorations into the hallways, uh, but he's the book he takes is House of Leaves. Yeah, which is which is uh, we got to talk about that later, but I don't want to talk about it just yet. 
Um, man, I'm gonna. So, did you read the the the, the episodes? Did you did you read? No, I, them? I I literally just saw it. Um, like right before we started talking, I just nice you know, went to Wiki, Wikipedia. Um, uh, yeah, dude, I wanna I'm gonna read these. Uh, depending on how long they are, because I'm like literally, I had to force myself not to start reading uh, Malazan over the weekend because I wanted <laughs> to be completely focused for our episode today. Um, yeah, so the scripts are on. Uh, Danielewski's website, you can buy them for $11, and they are apparently 178 pages. And it's just, nice. I guess it's it, just a PDF. Yeah, yeah, so you get all three for, for that price? Yep. <clears throat> nice, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that, because I want to check it out. Maybe we'll do a follow-up. Uh, what do you think? Maybe yeah. someday, uh, in the midst of, uh, we'll, we'll put the uh, the House of Leaves follow-up back in the uh, the DadPod Gamescast uh, uh list because when we start the Malazan pod, I think that's going to just be its own separate thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm still, I'm still, uh, championing, championing the, uh, the title of a uh, fantasy pod of the fallen. So, uh, we'll see if Edward would like to go with that or we come up with something else, but you'll know, you guys will be the first ones to know. Yeah, I think it's good enough. So, um, I think we'll just do a much briefer summation of the rest of the book. I'll just, well, do this part is easier to summarize. I think, uh, don't you kind of like just based on the way that the the structure of the the first two thirds of the book works? I think this last part is a little bit more straightforward, yet no less uh, intense in, yeah. in in its setup. I'll, I'll try to make this really brief, and then I think we'll just kind of like more free flowing conversation. Yeah, as it yeah, let's, leads us. let's do it. Yeah. So chapter fourteen. So chapter thirteen ends with the disappearance of Tom. Chapter fourteen basically jumps forward. Um to Karen living on her own in New York. And mm-hmm. they sort of do like a uh, an exploration into Karen's uh, infidelities and things like that. Um, and what we find out is that Karen is the one editing together the footage. So Navidson has sent her all the footage uh, and he is the, and she's the one actually putting together the movie mm-hmm. that people see. Um, yeah. And, or uh, at least, she, at least these. Sh- she definitely does two shorts. I, I don't know how long they are, but they're like one of them true. was like six minutes. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I don't. I I think if I read it right, it was like maybe like it was like almost like a press kit kind of thing. Like, hey, House of Leaves, whatever she uh, decided to call it. She had two titles, uh, but it's coming and it's going to be longer. But these here's two looks. Yeah, and she's basically just up there with her kids waiting for. Um, Avidson to come back because he he sent her a letter that basically he's he's coming back and it's been months though um chapter 15 is basically a transcript of one of the movies that karen makes which is basically her just talking to people about the footage mm-hmm. and what's kind of funny about this is that almost everyone she talks to hits on her yeah i made a note of that it's uh they're all coming on to her uh, even the person who's like, I don't want you to think I'm coming on to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then one, uh, yeah, and then another person's like, I'm absolutely coming on to you. Yeah. So she talks to real famous people um, like Douglas Hofstadter, uh, Stephen King, um, Harold Bloom, Camille Paglia. Paglia? Pag- Paglia? Yeah. Paglia? I don't know pa- how you say her pa- name. Yeah. Pa- I said I said Paglia. Um, uh, uh, interesting of note, uh, the Harold Bloom thing, which I completely forgot about because I read this after my MFA. Harold Bloom is the uh, the theorist, the literary theorist and poet uh, who I actually I used his his uh, 
his theory of the anxiety of influence for the uh, research part of my my MFA thesis, which was originally yeah. my MA thesis. Uh, it, it was about Hunter, Hunter S. Thompson and the anxiety of influence, uh, nice. which is really interesting because some of this comes up in uh, just the snippet that we get from Bloom. Uh, mm-hmm. Mostly, I, you know, Hunter Thompson always wanted to be taken seriously as a serious novelist. Um, but yeah. Harold Bloom says in order to be like an original voice to, you know, kind of like come out and do something different than what's come before. Cause like he wanted to be Hemingway or Fitzgerald Thompson did. Right. Um, there's a, there's, you need to have a necessary misreading, which is not necessarily like you didn't understand it, but you need to put your, your own take on it. It's called a, a Kleinemann or a swerve. And, uh, I thought it was so interesting that it, it kind of like brought together like my my mfa work in this podcast in a uh, a way because i was like oh my god I, for- I completely forgot that harold bloom is in here and then hunter thompson appears later which yeah. was wild too <laughs> yeah, and jacques derrida and steve wozniak of all people um david mm-hmm. copperfield uh, all kinds of stanley kubrick um all kinds of people um mm-hmm. and then yeah so that's kind of what karen's doing she's just trying to figure out what's going on then we find it's cool out, that she has access to all these famous people. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's kind of, I feel like, pushing the um, the envelope of, like, are we supposed to believe this? Like, she's talking to yeah. Derrida, and I don't know if Derrida speaks English. Uh, he, so any, so I saw, like maybe a little uh, bit. A, yeah, I saw a thing on him. Uh, it was some, I don't remember what it was, but there was a section with him in it. And the thing I remember is definitely wasn't speaking English, speaking French. And then, like one of his like treats is he would like put banana peels in the refrigerator and then like, let them stay there for a while. Like the peel of the banana. And then he would like take them out uh, wh- however long after they were Brown or whatever. And, uh, uh, <laughs> and put sugar on them and eat them. It was gross. Uh, but I don't yeah, know. <laughs> I had a thumbs down appear on my face. <laughs> yeah. That was, I don't know what that came from. I don't know either. That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're using apparently, Discord uh, to record this time, which is different. Yeah, than apparently the, what's the bot's name? Uh, oh, Craigbot. Yeah, Craigbot does not like uh, banana peels and sugar uh, yeah. from the refrigerator. <laughs> um, so uh, we also, um, in this chapter, we get to a look at the picture that made uh, Navitz and Famous. He got his Pulitzer. And on uh-huh. the back, in quotes, it says, uh, Delisle. Eli- yeah. I, I, I I'd been pronouncing it Delisle, uh, like okay. rhymes with denial. Yeah. So, so that's a name that um, keeps popping up into Navidson's head throughout the book. Earlier, he keeps yeah. thinking about her at like points of high stress and things like that. Um, yeah. Chapter sixteen is like an in-depth scientific inquiry into the house, which is mm-hmm. just full of science and uh, yeah, hilariously, and I think. For practical reasons as an author um you like tons and tons of the pages are missing yeah and we get we get yeah. a footnote from johnny truant so basically before this johnny truant has been re-adding stuff that uh zambrano took out and in this case he's like sorry about all the missing pages um i dumped ink all over them <laughs> yeah and, and it's I, I it's kind of funny that uh it's not just ink um i i put down exactly like he's like super duper like um uh god what did he it's it's got like a name and a number it's like this deutsch schwarz which is german for black it's like this super duper black 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 ink yeah oh man i can't find it in my notes because of course i took too many notes but anyway yeah it's really funny because 
uh, we get more about the notes than we do about some of the science stuff, which is fine because I don't think we would have necessarily grokked the super highly scientific information anyway. Yeah, and I think that that was on purpose. It's like Daniel Uski wanted this to, you know, to have that stuff, but he's like, I don't want to. No one wants to read about isotopes, which is like, you know, yeah. something that's included here. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of did, but like, I think the way that they talked about, like the most important thing, the isotopes are for carbon dating to, to, to figure out how old the samples were. Yeah. And I, th- that is included. And that's the interesting part. Yeah. So parts of the house are basically older than the solar system. Yeah. Which I just, I guess, accept that. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I mean, yeah, it makes sense because like our solar system, you know, uh, from the galactic center is pretty far away and stuff that was yeah. uh, created first in the Big Bang uh, is, is much older than like our solar system. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the house is made with interstellar traveler juice. Yeah, basically. Um, chapter 17 uh, goes into these three competing theories about why Navitson returned to the house. Cause we find out that Navitson went back to the house mm-hmm. for various reasons. Um, we get a letter that he wrote to Karen in which we discover who Delial is. Um, mm-hmm. Delial is the, so the picture that made him famous is of a starving Sudanese child, a little girl who's being stalked by a vulture. Um, right. And, uh, Navitson gives her the name Delial. And that's mm-hmm. like, it's this moment that's basically haunted his life. Yeah. Or, you know. And he didn't tell anybody about it. Like even his like closest mm-hmm. people, like the people in his lives uh, were not, uh, were never filled in on what it was. Uh, and I don't think we really find out until Karen discovers the name on the back of the photo. And she does a, a thing where she kind of like zooms in very slowly and kind of like lingers on the name. Cause it's like, she's having the epiphany at the same time the reader and the rest of the world is basically uh, when they see it. Yeah. And it's really, yeah, his, his letter back to Karen is sort of what uh, solidifies that that's what that is. Um, and then, so one of these theories puts like a sort of a psychological effect that happens after people experience the house with uh, mm-hmm. one to 10 and Navidson's at the 10 where he's like, you know, fucking obsessed with it. But once yeah, he, he retur- obsessed and very, uh, it's having a lot of negative physical and psychological effects on him. Yeah, but once he returns to the house, um, they do like another effect rating, and his drops to a one, and so does almost everyone else's. So it's like everyone is still sort of experiencing these um, unpleasant symptoms until Navidson himself returns to the house. And so like wherever mm-hmm. these people are, uh, it it uh, their problems alleviate to some extent. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I read, I, I kind of read it as like they mostly went all, not all the way away, but like we're pretty much like they're able to like start functioning normally again. Yeah. The, the one who it affects the least interestingly is Chad, his son. Yeah. Yeah. So Chad, I think is, goes from like a seven to a four. Whereas, um, mm-hmm. I mean, Navidson himself goes from a 10 to a one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they also talk about how even just experiencing the movie causes some people to have similar symptoms. And the obvious case in point is Johnny Truant, who throughout these few chapters is basically losing his mind. Yeah, I mean, and he's been in a bad place before. Like, he's in a real bad spot before we got to this in the first two-thirds of the book, uh, and he is much worse uh, now. Yeah. Um, we find out then in Chapter 18, so Karen finds... You know, she finally just goes to uh, back to uh, Virginia to try to find Navidson. 
And it yeah. takes her a while to get there. She's staying at like a day's end. She meets with Reston and she finds that um, uh, Navidson has been there for basically a month. His car is parked there, but it, it doesn't move. Mm-hmm. Um, and she begins to go about her life once she moves back into the house, which she stands on the precipice for like an hour before she can yeah. make it make up the will to go inside. Yeah, understandably. Um, yeah, we also get some, uh, n- uh, what would you call them? Like artifacts from the Jamestown. Uh, yeah, the Jamestown, co- the original Jamestown colony. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's like, uh, you know, so 300-ish, almost 400-year-old stuff yeah. where basically someone experiences potentially the house. Like they find a staircase right. and then they just disappear. Like in the middle of a, f- a field or something, like a meadow. Yeah. It's really yeah. weird. Yeah. Because there's like a journal that's left uh, from yeah. one of the original uh, settlers uh, that, that that has been passed down through generations and somebody buys it a bookstore. It was really, they got it yeah. real cheap, like 20 bucks or something. Yeah. And so Karen begins living in the house and sort of going back to life as normal. She um, Occasionally she seems to hear Navidson through the walls. Or yeah. Reston's um, never able to hear him, but Karen can hear him some, for some yeah. for some reason. Yeah, and only sometimes. Um, yeah. And then we get to this point where she finds like a stack of his tapes. They're just suddenly in uh, the room in front yeah. of uh, the kid's closet. Yeah, it's um, the it's the hall because like that whole hall, like the hallway that connected the two rooms that just appeared. It, I, the way I, I, I sort of read it, like it is like a giant black like square portal uh, yeah. uh, I guess that appears behind her. This is worth explaining again. So once uh, they return to the house, that hallway, that initial hallway is gone. It's closed. It's just yeah. like a, a normal closet again, like a foot deep. Um, yeah. That hallway in the upstairs that connected the their room to their kids' room is also gone. And yeah. the bookcases that um, were one were built to be flush with the walls and then like weren't because the house expanded changed shape yeah uh, they're, they're now flush again so it's like yeah. the house has gone back to being the normal house until this yeah. happens um mm-hmm. and so the camera sees at first that behind her basically a yawning black happens and then yeah. we don't get to find out what happened yeah in it's, the su- it's super later. yeah it's like 200 pages too or something it's like a yeah. lot of pages um yeah. it, it's like yeah. two chapters or something yeah, so uh, it, it was it was great actually the way that that worked out. Yeah, and then chapter nineteen basically spends some, uh, you know, trying to figure out why Navidson exactly went back, and it's kind of it seems like he just he just had to, you know, he just had to. Um, chapter twenty is sort of written like chapters um, nine and twelve. Which one? I can't. I, I can't one. remember. I can't remember so, that. I'd have to look uh, again at the book which i had and it has disappeared yeah it's all right but you know it's the uh typography goes insane again is basically what happens um and it is about uh exploration five which is navidson going back in and this time instead of going to the staircase he he just goes down one of the hallways and he's on a bike with a trailer so he has enough stuff for like two weeks and he just he just starts biking and what he finds is that um it's like as the more he bikes, the easier it gets until he is mm-hmm. basically plummeting downhill. Yeah, like, he's even when he turns bit. around. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so he 
he goes like the first day like a hundred miles or something because he's going just downhill. Um, he said mm-hmm. the only thing that he's doing at a certain point is using the brakes. Um, yeah. And then so he gets way back there and he's like, he's like, I'll camp here and then uh, I don't have enough supplies basically to get back and it's gonna be all uphill so it's gonna like it's gonna suck. Um, yeah. But he he turns around and he starts biking for like a hundred feet and realizes that he is once a once again going downhill. He thinks maybe yeah. he, maybe he didn't turn around, so he turns around again, and it, yeah, basically everywhere he goes is just it's every like direction. How, yeah, it's like the house is pulling him deeper into it, and yeah. he keeps going until uh, he basically almost falls off an edge. Like, and he's he stops, slams on the brake, and has to basically jump off his or like you know twist his bike into the ground to stop, which uh, hurts his leg. A doorway opens up over in front of this yawning chasm that. You know, leads to, of course, like a giant hallway. He decides yeah. to camp there, not go inside, and then that is gone. And instead, there's like a uh, a ladder above him, which, of course, he goes up. Yeah. And things keep getting stranger until he uh, is. He, he has to, to like a... sleep on the ladder. Like, there's one point yeah. where he has to stop and like sleep on the ladder because <laughs> it just so keeps going up. up. Yeah. yeah. And so, and he has to crawl through this like incredibly small hallway. Um, yeah, it's like shrinking. It starts where he's walking, but it, it keeps shrinking to the point where he has to start crawling. Yeah, to the point where he like thinks that he's just gonna he's just stuck. Um, but mm-hmm. he is able to keep going. He finds another room, which he uh, goes to. There's a there's a window. He opens the window, and of course, there's just like more yawning blackness. Um, but then there's like a I guess you would call it like a like a what do you call that a porch a balcony? Yeah. And he, so he goes through the window to stand on the balcony, and then, of course, everything behind him disappears, and he's standing in total blackness on a platform, and there's nothing anywhere. Yeah. And he stands there for a, lo- a long time. Yeah, and very he, long time. He has a few matches, a few flares. He he lights one flare. It drops straight down into nothing. He lights another one. It just stays in front of him, hovering. Then yeah, he lights another weird. one. He <laughs> lights another one, and it shoots straight up, like... Yeah. incredibly fast um and with these little bits of light he decides to read the book he brought with him which is house of leaves which is 736 yeah. pages long which is longer by about 16 pages 26 pages than a yeah house of leaves the one you're holding in your hand yeah um and he first he's lighting matches he's reading by the flare light then he's lighting matches and then he's lighting the book itself on fire in order to read the book uh, we don't know anything right. about the book besides that. Right. And then he's in complete blackness or again, an indeterminate amount of time. And in the distance, yeah. he sees what he, what seems to be a light. Yeah. We should also add that it's still super cold. Like, uh, oh, yeah, one yeah. thing, one thing about the, uh, the, 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 the yawning hallways is that it's always real cold. Yeah. And so for, I think like six minutes or something like that, the, when you're watching the Navidson uh, report, it's just black. And every once in a while, uh, Navidson says something. And he, yeah, you know, it's, he's just like muttering, saying mm-hmm. random stuff. Um, and then that's kind of where that chapter leaves off. Chapter 21 is Johnny Truant's final entries. And it's like 20 plus pages of uh, just journal entries and it's yeah. hard to know how much is real and how much is not but it also yeah. happens non-linearly right 
So it because begins... it happens like in the present, then we backtrack and it sort of like tries to circle back around to where we started date wise, I think. Yeah, so it begins on October 25th and it goes up to October 30th. And if you remember, the intro was written, this is 1998, and the intro was written on October 31st, 1998. So it's yes. basically the days leading up to him writing the intro. And then mm-hmm. we kind of hop back and uh, what we find out in the first entry is Lude died. Um, yeah. Uh, I think there's just an entry that says Lude died, and I think he leaves it at that until he comes back a little bit later that day. Yeah, yeah. But um, we also found out in one of the previous chapters, in one of the footnotes, that the I guess we didn't go into the Gdansk man's yeah, thing. Uh, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Basically, Lude gets the shit beat out of him by someone whose girlfriend slept with Johnny Truant. Yeah. Why? I'm blanking. It's not... Is it Ashley? It's not Ashley, is it? Uh, no, it's... Or uh, Kyrie. Uh, yeah, Ki- Ki- oh, Ki- uh, or Kiara. Oh, no, Kyrie. You're right. Yeah, yeah it's, Kyrie. It's Kyrie or Kyrie if you uh, were Catholic growing up and went to a Latin mass. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, Lude gets the shit beat out of him and then he gets murdered. Yeah. Right? Wait, no, he like, does. How does he die? Sort of. Oh, yeah. he, no, he, he dies on a motorcycle. Yeah, because he, he was on a bunch of painkillers. Yeah. Yeah. And then he continued with the painkillers and alcohol, and he was driving a motorcycle at like 100 miles an hour. Yeah, and so in the days leading up to Johnny Truant writing the intro, <clears throat> Gdansk man finds him and decides to beat the shit out of him too. But what he doesn't know is that Johnny Truant has spent his life fighting people with his dang fists. Yeah. Uh, so Johnny Truant... Even bigger, smaller, it doesn't matter. Johnny Truant's been fighting. Yeah, and so uh, Johnny Truant takes two hits because that's just the kind of dude he is, and then he just like utterly destroys Gdansk man. And yeah, then, he uh, uses a bottle at first and then just starts whooping his ass with his fists. Yeah, and to the he finds like a where, Jack Daniels bottle or something. <laughs> yeah, and to the point where um, maybe murdered him. It's it's this is like yeah. part of the unreal. Super super unclear. Yeah, it's very very unclear what, what's yeah, going because, on because um, something you know that's been happening throughout the whole book is Johnny Truant experiences something that he describes in vivid detail and then. He'll be like, that didn't happen. And it happens yeah. even in this chapter a little bit later yeah. or before, I guess, both later and before. You, should we should we talk about like that part or just let the reader uh, read that part? Because I thought it was really good, but uh, um, kind of. I mean, like <laughs> what he threatens to do next or. <laughs> well, no, well, that no, 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 that, that no, I didn't think that was good. I just like the part that like, was definitely not real. And then he's like, of course, that wasn't that didn't happen. Oh, of course, yeah. I don't have like X, Y and Z. Yeah. So we can just jump to that. So basically, okay. uh, he beats the shit out of Gdansk man, and then he tells us, the reader, that he's going to rape Gdansk man's girlfriend, and then it just stops, and we have no idea what happened. And it jumps back yeah. to um, all this kind of stuff. You know, Johnny's life sucks. He uh, it jumps back to, like, May of the same year, and he's just been looking for the house, and people treat him like a crazy person because he looks like a crazy homeless person. He also sold mm-hmm. his mom's locket. Um, Which he said he would never do, but then he finally does do. Yeah, and he finds out that his locket has one of the letters that he wrote to his mom in it, uh, which mm-hmm. is sad. Um, then in September, yeah, so he he stays with an old friend, and they're both doctors. They're like a married couple of doctors. And, uh, they take care of him, and he's doing well. He's eating well. He has all the he has like this uh, dream medication that makes him better. And then uh, he's like, "That was." 
a lie. That that didn't happen. Yeah, I don't. He's like, I don't have two friends that are doctors, let alone one friend. You yeah. know, it's. Uh, I mean, Lude was his friend. Like that was yep. like it. Yep. Um, and then we jump past the introduction date, um, and he's just, you know, he's not doing well. Mm-mm. He's just he's not doing well. And then we jump backwards again to the introduction date. And then I believe we jump backwards one more time and he meets, he's like living as a homeless person essentially. And yeah. he hears music coming from this bar and the door is open and he walks inside and he expects he's gonna have to pay yeah. a cover charge and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and no cover charge. Yeah, he's not really paying attention to the band that much except that he thinks they're good. And then uh, yeah. they play a song called The Five and a Half Minute Hallway. Yeah, and which, that uh, very obviously uh, piques his interest. Yeah, which if you remember, that's like the the first part of the Navidson report. So he meets mm-hmm. the dudes after, and uh, you know they think he's a crazy, crazy homeless person at first, but then they re- anyway they they start talking, and they're telling him about this book, House of Leaves, written by Zambrano, edited by Johnny Truant, that they read online, and mm-hmm. Johnny debates whether he should tell them that he's Johnny Truant or not, but mostly it's just like he he's just kind of like flabbergasted. Um, yeah, I don't think he of, ever does tell them. I don't think he tells he them doesn't. that he's actually Johnny. Yeah, he doesn't. And it's interesting because, like, at this point now, House of Leaves is not only a book that Navidson reads, which is a different book, presumably, than the one you're holding. But the one that right. you're holding in your hand is the one that characters in the book have now read. Right. Minus Johnny's because introduction, the, because it happens. Johnny's. Later. Johnny, before he starts looking for the house, doesn't he send it off somewhere? Uh, or am I re- misremembering that? I feel like somehow it gets in the hands of people, and I, I feel like there was a part where he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna send, I'm gonna send this whole pack. I'm gonna get, you know, send this packet off, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go look for the house." Yeah, I can't remember, but he does, he does mention that he retrieves it again. Like he goes back mm-hmm. to the book, so the book has mm-hmm. been put somewhere, and he goes back to get it. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of like the narrative is now folding doubly in on itself because this is, so this is the mm-hmm. only chapter that it's all Johnny. There's no Navidson. There's, there's nothing by Zambrano in here. So, yeah. th- and it says somewhere in the book that the original edition of the book didn't have this chapter. I don't know if that means the first edition of the book that we were just right. talking about earlier that doesn't have the whales to letters or it's like, the first edition of the book as read by like, you know, this band. Ooh. Right. Cause it, like it, 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 it couldn't have this chapter because this chapter was written later. Right. It's, it's this entire like interplay of like this text existing within and without itself. Yeah. And so, uh, but it's, so Johnny is now part of the main narrative. And in that main narrative, the book that you're reading and the book that he's compiling is a book that other characters have read. Mm-hmm. And that, and then, and he has a conversation with those other characters, basically about the reality or unreality of it. And I believe the band treats it like a book of fiction. Yeah, they just, but they said it will. This book will change your life. Right. Yeah. They, they, they're very uh, adamant about that. Yeah. Oh yeah, because that's it. They they give him the book and he opens it up and the first page says House of Leaves by Zambrano, edited by Johnny Truant, and mm-hmm. his mind. What's left of it just like craters. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so then we uh 
after the, the next chapter picks up where we left off with Karen. Because mm-hmm. so that Karen's chapter when the blackness opens up behind her um ends in a sentence fragment. So there's no period at the yep. end. And this yeah, chapter nothing. Yeah, chapter 22 begins with the end of that sentence. Um and what Karen does in essence is she enters that darkness which uh those who took a lot remember, took a lot for her to do it. Yeah, she is insanely claustrophobic. Um, mm-hmm. w- which is maybe because she was abused as a child or as a teenager mm-hmm. by her stepdad. This is also unclear even within the text. Um, yeah. So she enters Ultimately, the house. it's not important. It, the, the, those details aren't important. Uh, yeah. Is sort of what I'm led to believe. It's it's the result of the person that she became that, that that's important. <clears throat> so she enters the house and she finds Navidson. Um, and... She enters the house with a flashlight, and it's thought that yeah. that flashlight was what Navidson saw on the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so she uh, she finds him, and she mm-hmm. appears in their backyard with Navidson. Uh, his head is on her lap, and she's he's, yeah. like, barely alive. Yeah, he's, um, he's, he's, in, he's in rough shape. A lot of frostbite, a lot of yeah. nerve and damage. She, in an interview, she describes the house... Because uh, the interviewer was like, "Well, how did you get out?" And she's like, "The house dissolved around us, mm-hmm. we, and they were just there." Yeah, and she's like, "The physical house, because the physical house is still there." And she's like, "No, like whatever we were in is no longer there, right?" Or something. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. It's it's it again. It's left sort of, I think, to the reader to interpret. <laughs> yeah. What what part of the house dissolved? Uh, yeah. And, why? and how how that might have looked? Yeah. And and why? Yeah. And so, yeah, well, I Navidson, mean, ultimately, the, the house was about reconciling, you know, and fixing their relationship. And uh, yeah. that's sort of like that might be the moment that it happened. Yeah. And uh, so Navidson, he he is alive when he when he's mm-hmm. found by the paramedics or like she calls the paramedics. His body temperature is like 85 degrees, which is so low that uh, it's he basically shouldn't survive. You know, yeah, um, it's super du- it's super duper duper low. Like, yeah. It, I mean, you get really sick if your body go, you know, ninety eight point seven is like normal. If you go down yeah. to like ninety five degrees, you're probably in pretty bad shape. It's like if you've ever had a yeah, fever, you know, two degrees of fever can make you really sick. So yeah. he's twelve ish degrees colder than mm-hmm. uh, homeostasis. Yeah. Uh, but yes. Yeah, so he he is he does survive. He his hip is for some reason shattered. He's missing an eye. And his uh, hand has to be removed because of frostbite. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of where the that's where the Zambrano report ends. Yeah, them um, together. Yeah, it's um, it's super man. It's super interesting. Uh, I I think we can cut if you want. Do you want to kind of go back now and just like start? where we were since we've got the summary and then we can kind of like fill in the gaps as we, as we go. Yeah, I think so. Or, I mean, I think at this one, maybe we can just kind of talk more, whatever we feel like talking about, you know, like as it comes up. Yeah. Well, one of the things that that my very first note that I made, uh, that never changed was that everyone in this book is indelibly changed by a loss of one kind or another. Mm. Um, and some of it is emotional. Some of it is like physical. Like, I mean, Navidson is literally ends up literally losing both a brother and parts of his body. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Johnny Truant lost any uh, form of sanity that he might have had. Uh, and mm-hmm. 
you know, other things. Uh, they uh, everybody is like extremely affected uh, by loss. Um, wh- one of the one of the boring things that I wanted to do uh, because it comes up so much and it's really. Uh, I, I wanted to talk about uh, Derrida and uh, you know his 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 theory just for a, a quick second because there's so much in this book that is just uh, that uh, in the fact that Jacques Derrida even appears in the book uh, I feel like I had to uh, I feel like I had to mention this b- before we dove into any sort of like analysis yeah. um, so like Derrida he was like this uh, Algerian born French philosopher uh, especially like liter- literary philosophy. Um, he developed the philosophy of deconstruction um, or deconstructionism. And that's where he used uh, like, uh, I don't know, it was in a bunch of his books that he wrote. And it was sort of like uh, developed by uh, the influences that people like uh, Ferdinand de Saussure, who was a linguist, had and uh, some like uh, phenomenology by Heidegger. Um, he sort of took it to a different level. Uh, uh, he kind of did his own thing when I talked about Harold Bloom earlier doing a, a necessary misreading of their work. He did that and kind of created this theory of difference and difference. Um, and the one thing, the reason I wanted to mention this uh, is because the, especially with the interplay with names, even Delial and Delisle, like the, the, the fact that like we have, an, you know, Navidson, Davidson, Navidson, Navy, you know, like all these, there's this interplay between the way words sound and the way that we interpret them. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I, I pulled up, a, I, I went to the Encyclopedia Britannica. It was the first uh, hit that came up the other day because I wanted to show you uh, what this theory was. And it's just this paragraph. I'm going to read this paragraph. Uh, and if you can't keep it all in your in your mind uh, while we're talking about stuff, that's fine. But uh, I think you'll see that this comes up a lot. Uh, difference and difference. The speech slash writing opposition that derives from a pervasive picture of meaning that equates linguistic meaning with the ideas and intentions in the mind of the speaker or author, um, you know, because that can change uh, based on the fact that the reader is also a completely different person. Um, building on the theories of Swiss linguist Ferdinand de Saussure, Derrida coined the term difference, uh, meaning both a difference and an act of deferring uh, to characterize the way in which linguistic meaning is created rather than given. For Derrida, as for Saussure, the meaning of a word is a function of the distinctive contrast that it displays with other related meanings, because each word depends for its meaning on the meanings of other words. You know, we can't have a definition if we don't know other words, if that makes sense. I mean, it's a, that's a basic right. tenet. Like, you, you have to know, like, if you're going to describe, like, a bug that you saw, you would need to know, like, like, like the, a basic structure of colors and shapes and... Uh, size right like uh-huh. so you need to, you need to know other words you know to like <clears throat> excuse me to 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 define things um it then follows that the meaning of a word is never fully present to us as it would be if meanings were the same as ideas or intentions instead it is endlessly quote unquote deferred in an infinitely long chain of meanings derrida expresses this idea by saying that meaning is created by the quote unquote play of differences between words a play that is, quote, limitless, infinite, and indefinite. And man, if there was ever, like, a definition of this text, like, even think about the the, the gaping the hallways, itself, that yeah. the house itself is limitless, infinite, and indefinite. Uh, I, I think that uh, Daniel Lewski read him some Derrida, whether it was college or on his own, and was like, man, I had this idea after I read, you know, Borges, who literally... Uh, I think we decided in the first episode is literally Borges and Zampano are literally the same dude, basically. 
Um, I think so. uh, And, (laughs) you know, I think that uh, between those two, you have a giant uh, foundation for what you have in House of Leaves because, like, everything is so deliberate, uh, as we've talked about, that, like, even choices like... uh, I was going to ask you if... Do you have your book handy, Eddie? Yeah. I wanted to see... uh, It's page, like, 5... Is it 518? One of the... Okay, between pages 518 and 519. In my copy, for some reason, like on 519 or whatever, like the text becomes bold. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's yeah. just a misprint in mind. Okay, so it's like that in yours too. And I got to wonder, just things like that. Uh, uh, I actually think are, the thing is not that 519 becomes bold. So the letters are like very dark in most yeah. of Johnny Truant's uh, stuff. But on page 518, it's it's weirdly lighter. Okay, so is that is that what it is? Yeah, because if you look, and back so I'm wondering page, because like, like that same thickness of text, right? Yeah, it's it's because it's like it's so it's it's noticeable. Is I guess what I like. It was noticeable enough that I like flipped around and had to like make a note of it because that that means something or it means nothing. But like the it feels intentional, especially if like I mean, you and I probably bought our books years apart, so like the printing. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't, my book didn't come off the press in the same batch as yours, most likely. Yeah. Um, and it, so, and know. that's an interesting um, page, page 518 anyway, because he describes, um, he says, the book is burning at last. A strange light scans each page, memorializing all of it, uh, even as each character twists into ash. And then, um, you know, he kind of goes on, talks about darkness and things like that. He says, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I have nothing left except this story. And then crossed out and in red, it says, what I'm remembering now. Um, and then he says, too long from the surface of any dawn. The one doc told me when I was up in Seattle. And it's like, I don't even know what anyone yeah. told him in Seattle. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It, he, he, it's sort of like, uh, you know, yeah. one of those but, things, again, that we wonder, did this happen or is this just another Johnny-ism where he's just yeah. going off on a... This is also like Johnny at his most heartfelt because like the next paragraph begins... Yeah. It begins with the birth of a baby, though not a healthy baby, born with holes in its brain and showing an absence of gray-white differentiation, as Doc put it. So bad that when the child first emerges into this world, he's not even breathing. Um, and uh, he he's kind of talking about himself, mm-hmm. um, though he's also not. Um, yeah. Which brings me to an interesting thing that I read in the Appendix B, um, or Appendix Part B, which is Bits. It's on page yes. 543. Okay. And um, Zampano writes this in uh, September 21st, 1970. It's, it's typed. Um, he says, Perhaps in the margins of darkness, I could create a son missing who lives beyond even my own imagination and invention, whose lust, mm-hmm. stupidities, and strengths carry him farther than even he or I can anticipate, who sees the world for what it is and consequently bears the burden of everyone's tomorrow with unprecedented wisdom and honor because he is one of the very few who has successfully interrogated his own nature. His shields are instantly available, though seldom used. And those who value him shall prosper, while those who would destroy him shall perish. He will fulfill a promise I made years ago, but failed to keep. And yeah. I feel like that is also about Johnny Truant. Um, yeah, yeah. You're sort of wondering if like Zampano, even though we know Zampano is not his father, but it's almost like he also like in some ways was his father, like the well, way that the, the yeah, descriptions kind of, happen. 
it's sort of like in the darkness he made his son and it's it's sort mm-hmm. of like um you know in some ways Johnny Truant he is in the darkness of his, this book and so this kind of brings yeah. to what you said a little bit earlier about how like uh they went they got the house to heal their marriage um Karen yeah. and Navidson and even though um where we leave off with Johnny is not a good place if it it feels like there's I don't know some like sense of hope there like maybe right. he's able he's he's sort of like by by discovering that this book exists outside him and other people have it it's like excised his demons a little bit mhm yeah um and so it's like Johnny it's almost like he was born through this uh you know like a baptism by fire in a sense right and i think it he finds a weird kind of closure with his mom who yeah. in that last chapter and yeah. there's you know we talked about uh Derrida and Borges and i think there's something kind of psychoanalytical about the book too yeah there, well there's like, a lot of like freud freud stuff uh that pops up and jung uh, yeah, that and, pops up and i think it's like um you know the theory of like exposure uh theory i guess is what you call it where it's yeah. like you just force people to deal with the things that uh make them anxious or scared or whatever and that yeah. kind of like yeah. gets them over it um mm-hmm. and it's almost like this house because it mirrors what's inside you it basically yeah. is it's grand exposure therapy that kills a lot of people like yeah <laughs> a lot of people who interact with the house just die um yeah well they they were not i guess in a position to confront what was their their demons you know like uh, yeah. it seems like uh it, it 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 takes everything from you if you're not ready right and we see that with like holloway where he deteriorates rapidly into yeah. like the scared young man that he is kind of on the inside mm-hmm. and, uh, at that point when they say like um you know even people who inter who like watch the movie sometimes become obsessed with the house and like deranged by yeah. it yeah. At, at least three people who have seen the movie killed themselves afterwards because of that. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it often seems like Johnny is about to, if not kill himself, just like disappear from the face of the earth in terms of yeah. like starving himself like, to death. Yeah. Like almost like dematerializing <laughs> like things that, that the house consumes. The house consumes like every last bit. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, weirdly. One, Oh, go ahead. I was just because I, I had a, a thing to you were talking about a, the sun in the dark uh, on the previous page. There was that little quote with the strike throughs where it's like mm-hmm. a sun to read in the dark, like a sun like, you know, that it yeah. gives us warmth oh, yeah, and yeah. life. And then with the strike through and it says a sun to rend the dark, a sun like, you know, a child, uh, which I thought was like really interesting because, you know, Zampano revisits that uh, that idea more than once. And I think you said that yours was 1974 um, or something. 70. Okay. And then, so the, the one that I just read was 1968. So it's like, this is a, a theme, uh, that is living with him. Right. And, uh, um, so I was just gonna, it just, this, that just kind of reminded me of, um, so Johnny throughout most of his footnotes and his narrative is doing drugs, getting drunk. But when mm-hmm. he is at that bar, so the first thing he does is he has, he has like $3 and 50 cents and he asks the bartender, he just tells him straight up. He's like, I only have this much money. And the bartender goes, uh, lucky for you, it's dollar beer night and there's no cover. Mm-hmm. So Johnny yeah. Im- immediately buys three beers for the band. There are three people in the band and orders yeah. a water for himself. Yep. Um, and the bartender gives him a beer just like on the house. And yeah. um, but Johnny doesn't drink it. 
And I think that yeah. is uh, an interesting moment and kind of, it's not, he, he doesn't spend any time dwelling on the fact that he's given a beer, which like, you know, a hundred pages before that, he would have just like guzzled down. Yeah. But just, he, just, just, just pounded it. Yeah. But he doesn't drink it at all. Instead, he asked for a ginger ale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying, man. He's trying to, he's trying to get, he's trying to get right. Like, well, he, I mean, he spent, I he spent so long. I don't know if he's trying or if it's just like he he it, he is now such a different person than he was when he started this. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, like, that's true too. Because he doesn't say anything about like you know I'm trying to like it's trying to like and he even says like he makes a comment of like yeah I stayed with my friends and they tried to get me better but that wasn't real though yeah. at, at what I just read a few minutes ago when he talks about the doc in Seattle those friends of his were in Seattle and they're both doctors yeah. but they're also not real. Later, yeah. he's talking about them, like they like one of them told him a story about some child, and mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, it's it's hard to know what anything it's is. So hard to know. Um, but it, you know yeah, what? It's, it, it's less I think that he's trying to get better, and more just that like he he's changed by his experience with the house, and right. even though it brought him to, I don't even just like the brink of madness, like past the brink of madness. Uh, he yeah, might, like he, where he was dissociating. Yeah, he might be coming out into the other side. Yeah. We hope. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things I thought that's interesting, you know, the, the five and a half minute hallway was, pr- uh, you know, very prominent in the beginning of the book. And then the band had the song um, mm-hmm. on page, uh, page page 517. Johnny was talking about the experience where his mom almost killed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wrote a quote um, that says, uh, and then one day, I don't know when I forgot the whole thing. But like a bad dream, the details of those five and a half minutes just went and left me to my future. And it's like he had his own five and a half minute trauma, like Navidson uh, experiencing the hallway. Um, So so there's an interesting part of that, too, because a little later he's like, he like recontextualizes that moment and kind of like absolves his mother and also kind of forgives her at the same time. Like he's like, she wasn't Mm -hmm. trying to kill me. She's just, uh, what is he? And I don't have it. But he, yeah, what he, he said, I, I can't remember what he said, but he's like, yeah, she wasn't trying to kill me. She was something, something, something. He was like uh, reconciling it in some way. But also, yeah. I think trauma trauma victims will do that, too, where right. they try to make sense of of the horror or whatever that they experienced. Um, And then on the next pages where he's like, the book is burning. And he's like, just like, you know, it was like it was very much a mirror of when, you know, one thing we didn't talk about when Navidson uh, or Navidson uh, is at the end and he's reading, he's reading by match light and he's only got a certain number of matches and he's right. reading to get to the end of, uh, of the pages um, and sort of like, uh, you know, uh, he's read, you know, he's reading it in, in the hallways and it's like, he has just enough, uh, just enough light to read it. And he gets, I, I think we assume he got to the end of house of leaves uh, yeah. with the with his last match. I think we we're kind of told that. Um, and I thought that was like really interesting because, uh, you know, Johnny also burns the book and it's like, I'm wondering, uh, there's been parts of this book where I have wondered if like Navidson is a completely fictional creation created by, uh, started by uh, Zampano and and finished by Johnny Truant in some ways. I don't necessarily believe that, but I'm like, so much is mirrored uh, in the experiences, Um, you know, like the hallways uh, representing the Johnny's uh, just his mental illness in some ways, you know? Yeah, and there is some uh, like um, doubt cast on the 
existence of Navidson within the book because um, even though I guess we talked about the first episode, well, how it seems like Navidson is a character in the reality happening within the book. Um, Johnny comments on the picture of uh, Delisle specifically. He's like, mm-hmm. this is exactly like this picture done by this photojournalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is uh, from, and I which think is that was a real, real one. Yeah, yeah, that's like from because if if when I described that Sudanese tile and you're like, oh, I feel like I've seen that before. Like that's that's why it's because there is yeah. a picture, if not exactly like this, like really similar to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so I, th- what, I think that that's oh, also like not uh, what you were saying is like maybe this is just kind of a uh, a labyrinth of Johnny's brain. You know? Yeah, because I mean, like. It certainly could be, uh, although we, I mean, we got a lot of, of, well, I mean, picture, you could take a picture of any house. Uh, one of the last photos in the book is, uh, sort of like a collage of outdoor pictures of, of the house, which, uh, is a, a you know, they're, they're photos of a real house that I, uh, presumably exists somewhere. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. There's, there's so many like interesting, like little details that I, that I really enjoyed. Uh, one of them was like, what, uh, one of the things I'd forgotten about, but I saw in my notes that, you know, when Karen steps through the wall, the wall returns to normal except for the children's drawings are gone. And it's like the house always seems to erase every record of itself within and without, uh, you know, cause it, it, it eats everything that's inside uh, material, uh, material wise. That's why there's never been like a body found uh, in there. There's yeah. no, re- there's no tents, there's no meals, uh, but it also somehow erases uh, traces without. Uh, I wonder if that, like if you extrapolate well past the end of the pages, if people forget about the house as they get to the, to the end of their lives, like it's like erasing like that too. I mean, that's mm. just conjecture at this point, but it's yeah, very I mean, weird. The fact that the house appears to be, you know, older than humanity, older than earth, older than the solar system. It's mm-hmm. almost, um, and at some point one of the characters says basically like a uh, house is God. Like not, it's yeah. not, they, they're specific like the Christian like, God. Yeah, they're like the the house is not like God or similar in power to God. It like it is God, and that yeah. character. I think that Navidson says that and he's like, and I don't even know what I mean by that. Yeah, like, yeah, but it just comes to him, you know. Yeah, where it's like it's this ancient, you know, beyond primordial, just almost uh, infinite thing. And yeah, it's it, it it gives off vibes of like Lovecraft because uh, this is very uh, treading in cosmic horror territory. Uh, yeah. at this point and you know the great old ones that uh obviously were also yeah. like interstellar travelers in lovecraft uh it's almost like the house is an interstellar entity of some kind uh beyond i mean it could be an entity of some kind because it, it we, we, there's plenty of things i'm sure in the universe that our mind can't wrap our heads around um yeah. and, and you know the house could be where i'm not i'm not going to come out here and like uh you know uh like beat the drum for the house as an actual like alien. Uh, but, um, it could be, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, um, so everything within the book is part of the book. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like it, it's all yeah. part of the book, uh, which in my edition, uh, slightly annoyingly on the very back cover, like the interior of the back cover, like that, that like a thicker kind of page is basically, um, telling me that the familiar is available now. One of his newer books. Oh, I don't think I have. No, I don't have that. Okay, yeah. And I I, I don't think it should be in there. Um, no. Like, I think somebody it, added that. Well, yeah. It, I mean, my edition is definitely after the familiar, familiar came out, even though I read this yeah. before that, the first time. Yeah. Um, 
but uh because what i remember being the end of the book is this is even after like um i guess what you would call like the credits page yeah it is a credits page yeah um the very last page is yggdrasil which is the yeah. world tree of uh yeah Norse mythology all branches of re- there's there's nine branches of reality and they all stem from yggdrasil which is at the very center of it mm-hmm. which is basically yep. uh you know something beyond god it's before the gods mm-hmm. it is more powerful than the gods it, it just is yeah um and it says you know what miracle is this this giant tree it stands ten thousand feet high but doesn't reach the ground still it stands it roots mu- its roots must hold the sky and then there's just a huge o underneath that yeah and like that being the very last thing that you read from the book it's also like i mean you, what what are we to make of it? We can make a lot of different right. things of it, but I think that there's yeah. that kind of uh, connection, sort of like cosmic connection to the house. It's like the house has been here before everything, and uh, it can do anything. All mm-hmm. brand, you know. It's like Karen's in her upstairs hallway. She walks into blackened hallway, and she walks for some amount of time. She doesn't say. She finds Navitson, cradles him. And then appears in her backyard. Yeah, like it's it's like the house has moved her. Mm-hmm. You know, some well, amount... we, uh, we know that it doesn't adhere to a react. We knew that as soon as like it was like ten feet out in the backyard where it yeah there was no hallway. You know, like we it, it, it's it's uh, uh, manipulating reality. I mean, and when you think about reality, like what it, what we consider reality is what we can perceive. You know, with our eyes and our senses. And the house is like, but what if I can do stuff beyond those things that you have? Yeah, it's kind of, and that's what I was getting at. It's like, it's something that's beyond reality, kind of like Yggdrasil, which is in Norse mythology, basically the backbone of reality, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. It's like, it's not beholden to any of the nine realms of reality. Um, mm-hmm. But it is, all of those exist because of Yggdrasil. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, like, you know, I think that there's a connection to the house there too. But, uh, and then my you, favorite... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to wonder, I'm like, you know when Johnny's writing those letters at the end uh, with mm-hmm. Lude dead and obviously his mom gone, like, who do you think he's writing those to? Uh, uh, I, I, I don't have an answer. I'm just wondering. Like, I just have no idea who he might be writing to at this point in his life. I guess I thought of them as a journal. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because I guess they're not but, like, dear so-and-so. But, I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard to. I mean, he could be writing to the editors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's, he the editors at some point have found Johnny Truant and contacted him in order for him to mm-hmm. write the introduction to the book that you now hold. Right. Yep. Um. Yeah. So it's. I mean, there's there's a lot of questions with everything, but I want to go return to Yggdrasil for a moment. Yeah. Because let's do I it. think that there's an interesting element to this whole book. You know, we've talked about how this is a horror book. It is pretty scary. Um, yeah. Even if you get rid of the, I think the typographical and like uh, layout adds to the horror and like the labyrinth yeah. feel and all of that. But mm-hmm. even if, I think even without that, it would still be a pretty scary book. Um, but, and it's, it's full of metafiction. There's like all, you know, the razzle dazzle of postmodernism on almost every right. page of this book. Yeah. But weirdly, I think what Daniel Lewski is doing there. He's using all of these genre elements from, you know, genre fiction, horror fiction, but also academic genre tropes, I guess you could call them. Yeah. You basically yeah. tell a love story. You know, it's like yeah. at the essence of this is a 
struggling marriage. They go somewhere to try to heal. Things get way worse, and they come out the other side closer than ever. Um, yeah, because they always say, you know, uh, e- even doctors with bad diagnoses <laughs> and things, you know, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's like a very common uh, thing in many uh, instances of healing. Yeah. Uh, and so in one of the poems, which maybe was written by Zamprano, it's a, what appendix is this? One with the poems. It is, is it the Pelican poems or the other, other ones? No, the other one. It's appendix F. So not every poem, uh, well, they're unattributed, but so we, mm-hmm. maybe they were written by Zamprano. But this one's on pi- page 565. And I read this at uh, my best friend's wedding because I think it's a, actually like just a really beautiful poem yeah let's do it read it because you shall be my roots and i will be your shade though the sun burns my leaves you shall quench my thirst and i will feed you fruit though time takes my seed and when i'm lost and can tell nothing of this earth you will give me hope and my voice you will always hear and my hand you will always have i will shelter you and i will comfort you and even when we are nothing left not even in death i will remember you and uh, I think, you know, there's obvious kind of connections to Yggdrasil, but also just uh, Navidson and Karen. Like he says, you know, mm-hmm. you will hear, you'll hear my voice. She is the only one who hears him. And she says, you will have my hand. And he loses the hand. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is a hand that mm-hmm. he, you know, you could say he gave it in order to heal their marriage, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he was in, and I think he showed that he was willing to give anything. Yeah. Um, Ultimately. You know, there's also kind of obvious uh imagery of like a house as well it's like i will shelter you and i'll comfort you Mm -hmm. and you know they go together basically into hell into the depths of the house to die together and then they survive yep like um yeah i don't know there's there's so much in this book and i for me that's always the thing that stood out is like he went in the boldest strangest way to tell a love story yeah but I no. think it, but it, but but nobody else has done it, and uh, I think if anybody tried it, would it would it would it would fall flat. I think this is sort of like one of those things that only the person who did it can do it. Um, yeah. And you know, we talk about the anxiety of influence, uh, and I I feel like we've seen a lot of interesting media since House of Leaves that has been influenced by it. Uh, you know, oddly enough, uh, there's a, like a lot of podcasts out there that are kind of like uh, psychological horror, uh, podcasts, uh, that sort of like take some notes, uh, from house of leaves because Mm. house of leaves already is a book that did what you can do with the book. We kind of talked about this last time. Um, and so like its influences are going to be seen across other media. Uh, and I don't know, I think, I think making it a love story is actually really good. Uh, I love, I, there's like nothing in this book that I would change if that makes sense. Like, I don't think that it needs to ditch the, the love story. I don't think that, it has to only be horror. I think it can be everything. Uh, and it, and it kind yeah. of, it, it kind of is uh, a little bit of everything. Yeah. It's a book. I mean, we, we talked about this in the first episode where it's like, it's a book that's literally stretching the definition of a book and like what a book can be not even just like mm-hmm. typographically, but though that's like the most obvious thing. And the fact that like every single thing on every single page is part of the story. It's not just like right. you know, the, the book itself is part of the story. Right. Yeah. Then I mean, my, it's an yeah. object. It's an object that exists, like I said earlier, within and without. It's like, yeah, it's, it's ever it's everywhere. It's like it's ubiquitous. While you're reading House of Leaves, House of Leaves is everywhere. And it's it's like doubly in the book as something that mm-hmm. Navitson reads and as other people read and that Johnny Truant is writing. 
And but then like yeah. yeah, beyond just the physical object of it, it's this genre busting uh like catastrophe. You know, it's it's so many mm-hmm. different kind of genres all at once. And you know, you could you can read it as a straight horror, you can read it as like a pseudo academic text, you can read it as just a love mm-hmm. story, but but it's really it's all those things working together to make something that is just kind of unlike yeah. anything before and still sense. Yeah. I, I mean, like even the typos are on purpose. Like I've, I wrote I, one I really love. Uh, it appears on page 373 uh, in a footnote. This is the the chemistry chapter where yeah. uh, it's like XX uh, cleosynthesis, which is supposed to be nucleosynthesis. But, you know, certain certain things are like redacted and sp- ink spilled. Um, but the footnote is like uh, footnote 340 says the universe unfolded uh, from a state of infinite destiny, a moment oh, commonly yeah. referred to as the Big Bang. And then footnote 341 says typo colon destiny should read density. Uh, and I just love that. Like, I think yeah. it's so good. <laughs> what, I, what I love about that, too, is that um, Donnie Truant is the one making that typo call. Yeah, because that also kind of calls into question is it a typo? Because often it's the editors you know, who do that. Or like mm-hmm. when, when uh, even when Johnny like makes corrections like that, they'll be like, uh, you know, it's actually something else or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting that it's Johnny Truant making that typo yeah. call. Well, technically the editors, uh, the the nebulous, unseen, un, uh, unknowable uh, editors of this book um, would have gotten the obviously the text after he had already made this correction um mm-hmm. but it's just uh it's so good um because like uh one of the things that I, I i do all the time i've done a lot of freelance editing over the years and um so like i find like all the typographical errors in books it's just a thing i like to do but then like when i find them in this book i'm like am i finding them i think this is supposed <laughs> to be here you know uh-huh. like like i don't think uh the amount of care that was put into the purposeful inclusion of mistakes and things like that. Um, I don't think I'm the first one finding these, if that, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's probably had so many passes to make sure that every typo that exists, this is like, I'm going to have typos in here. They're going to be on purpose. So we have to make sure it's like clean, clean, you know, Could you imagine being one of the editors for this book? No, I feel like it would be super stressful. Especially uh, if you're looking at this, like as a word document or something like that. Yeah. Um, because like, so something that happens as we in the fifth exploration is there's no footnotes. It's like the only place I think in the whole book where there's a chapter without footnotes. There's not even an intrusion by Johnny uh, Truant. And right. then like um, in some of the errata at the end of the book, like the appendices and things like that, there'll be footnotes. Uh, like I, I was reading something last night and it was like, no, 171. And I didn't go check back to see what footnote that was, but it was you know, the last footnotes the numbering that you get to is like, I feel like in the three eighties or three nineties or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Cause like, I, uh, no, 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 no. pages, page three seventy nine. Yeah. I think you're right. Cause I'm, I'm at, uh, I'm looking at uh, one for it's footnote three fifty two, uh, yeah. So I know it's way more than that. Yeah. But like I was reading, you know, maybe it was like one of the Pelican poems or something like that. And it had like footnote one seventy one, And I was like, where even is that? <laughs> yeah and you'll but find then, but like, you flip back you flip back and yeah. it's there that time i didn't but, it's so uh, good yeah but it's uh, so good they're, all, they're also some of the footnotes are like k which when when there's a yeah. when, there's an un, when there's an unusual footnote my understanding is that those were the panos footnotes yeah that he made 
Yeah. Um, and well, but that, but that K one specifically, uh, I couldn't find like, uh, yeah. unless it was somewhere else in the book that already appeared. Uh, and then we had like read it. Cause when we get to the, like actually occurring in the original text, which is later, uh, it's not at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, there's, there's this intertextual part to the footnotes, but also some things are never explained. Like, you know, in, uh, the, the first episode, we talked about that dot in the bottom right page, Mm-hmm. like chapter eight or nine yeah it was way it was way back there um and like uh in the whale tow letters his mom talks about leaving that dot on mm-hmm. something and it's like why and, or, or the check mark too the check mark was it's from the, the mom mark, not, yeah not the dot it's yeah. the check mark sorry um yeah it's like i still don't know what that means <laughs> I, yeah i still don't um on on page 378 we get this thing where uh I think this is like real perfect. Uh, 378, 379, uh, where I guess this would be, this would be Zampano, um, because it's like the original text, uh, you know, the times new Roman 10 point, mm-hmm. uh, script. Um, mm-hmm. it says it would seem the language of objectivity can never adequately address the reality of that place on Ash tree lane. And I think that's, I think that's right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, uh, language and, you know, ob- you know, objectivity or the language of objectivity like if you're trying to like rationalize, you're trying to make sense out of a place that does not make sense, make sense out of nonsense. You you can't do it. Uh, and so it requires something else to understand it, which I, in my, in my opinion, in my reading, uh, both Karen and uh, Will Navidson uh, do at the end, which is why it dissolves. But that's just yeah. my reading of it, which mm, could, who knows, who knows? Because yeah. like at some point you have to like, so many people will tell me like, I, didn't, I haven't read House of Leaves because it intimidates me. And I think that that is like intentional. And like the idea is that you you get past the intimidation and just read it. You just do it. You just tackle it. Right. Yeah. Uh, even when it gets hard, uh, you just keep pushing forward. Um, and I think that that is like it's like, you know, its own reward. Like it's it's saying it it seems like it's a book only for smart people, but it's not like I, yeah. I, I think it really is something. That, I read it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, you, like the Dad Pod Gamescast uh, first book. Like, I mean, come on, like we we did it. Uh, I I think that it's a text that you can kind of come back to, and you're going to get more out of uh, each time. Yeah, it was um, very interesting thought, rereading it. Did Did you ever do you know what the zero folder is? Because Johnny talks about uh, like aside from a few notes, it's missing. I've looked everywhere, especially for the zero folder. Nothing. Who knows? Maybe it's for the best. I'm like the zero folder. It pops up like two or three times in the entire book. Um, but I, I wrote a note. I'm like, what is the dang zero folder? Yeah. I'm guessing, I mean, it's just some folder that Zampano kept in that box mm-hmm. that Johnny Trent picked up. Um, what do you make mm-hmm. of the fact that no one can find the house? I think it's weird, dude. Um, cause like the other thing I was thinking, like if Johnny just made all this up, shouldn't he be able to find it? Like if he thinks it's real, right. you know, I think that, super super weird yeah and then also the fact that um that realtor that karen talks to talks about how like that book or that uh that house sells all the time mm-hmm. like, and then never... she gave like reasons and it's like these real vague things but then you're like thinking about like you having uh been poisoned by knowledge knowing what you yeah. know about the house you read into the reasons that they were sold and you're like oh yeah these people were getting haunted basically yeah or just like you know rather than become obsessed with like that um whatever kind of the little minuscule things that arrive some people are just like i don't like this let's move mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. 
Like it unsettles yeah. them so greatly. You know, yeah. No one like Navidson had lived there yet. Is basically yeah. what I feel like. Yeah. Adam and as soon as he lives there, uh the house is like getting to stretch its interdimensional legs. Because uh, yeah, I mean Karen had Karen lived there by herself, she would have left immediately. You know, like yeah, it would it would never have gotten weirdness. to this point. Yeah, it would have never gotten to this point. Like most people, the first sign of weirdness that I think they're out. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. Oh, speaking of typos that I really liked, um, you know when Navidson is writing the uh the drunken letter to Karen and he's like, I'm not gonna edit this, I'm not gonna go back and read it because then I won't send it. Um uh it sort of like talks about uh you know, uh, Delisle and how she was the girl that quote unquote won him all the fame and gory. And that is just a incredible and perfect intentional typo. Yeah. Um, intentional by Daniel Lewski, no, yeah. not yeah. Navidson. Yeah. Uh, Cause like, you know, the gory details of war, right. You know, like, you know, he meant to say glory, obvi- obviously I'm not telling you know, the listener anything they don't know. Um, he, he like kept her out of you know a secret out of like guilt and i think it's like guilt of not being able to save her and guilt from also like profiting and becoming famous off right. of her misery yeah, for sure uh, um which uh, is and that's yeah. kind of you know a little bit it's like maybe that typo was intentional mm-hmm. you know because it's like he feels in a like part of his guilt is like he feels like he killed her mm-hmm. you know, rather he it's like he brought her to the world but in doing so he did not save her life he did not make her life better. Uh, he did nothing except for tell the world this is happening, basically. Mm-hmm. And so I think he, in a sense, maybe feels like the blood is on his hands for yeah. not even just her, but like, you know, a lot of this stuff. Um, yeah, 100%. I, I, I think it's uh, the, 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 the guilt, like other things in this book. I, I say things because I don't really know how to describe it because I'm really meaning everything. <laughs> Uh, you know, has multiple meanings, right? Like the guilt is not just one singular guilt. Uh, nothing in the book is singular other than like the book, the, the work itself is singular and that's the only thing. And the house, I guess. But, um, I think this, so one of the interesting things about covering this book, even in just three episodes is like, now that we're done there, I I mentioned how, like, we didn't even talk about the Gdansk man ever. And he's kind of like an important part of Johnny Truant's narrative. Um, yeah, because he and Luter like running from that guy for a while. Yeah, like, in the and it, book, and it's like, um, you know, it, it would almost be worthwhile now to go back and start another podcast just about House of Leaves and go chapter by chapter. You know, it's yeah. like, and you could, um, because there's. I mean, we could do that. We could maybe even do that on uh, after we do Malazan. Uh, you know, that'll someday, have enough yeah. time in between. Uh, yeah, a, you know, now more and then. of a, a someday project. Yeah, but it's mm-hmm. like. You know, the, this book is just like bursting with book. Um, mm-hmm. And part of it it's is bursting with everything. Of, yeah. It's like part of that is the referential nature of it, but it's, and it's also just the fact that there are, you know, uh, two strong, completely separate narratives that interact mm-hmm. and intersect in weird ways, which is, you know, the Navidson report and then Johnny Truant's um, marginalia. And yeah, you know, and, and which is all, really just his life, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. just the, the life and times of a dude named Johnny Truant, uh, whose last yeah. name is not Truant, yeah. whose life is also mm-hmm. kind of like he, his life is not great before. It's like he, he's kind of living like just a, as a dumb idiot, getting drunk and doing drugs and having a mm-hmm. good time, sort of. Yeah. Haunted by his past. It's like finding this book is kind of for him, like Navidson and Karen, where it's like mm-hmm. this is going to I mean, Johnny doesn't 
go into this being like this is gonna save me but he can't like go of it like right even before he knows what it is he just like he takes it and he keeps it and then he starts reading it yeah and it's worth remembering that like what he's reading are in some cases like ripped up scraps of paper yeah literal literal scraps that have been uh you know uh, tr- considered trash like I, again we talked about this before like i don't know that i would have found a bunch of scraps and thought it was worth keeping and put piecing back together yeah um well that's like um you know I, I don't know how much this is interacting with walt whitman but uh part of why walt whitman's um you know magnum opus i guess is called leaves of grass is sort of like a uh, a humble statement because mm-hmm. so people used to call books back then the pages uh leaves because they were so like delicate and shitty mm-hmm. basically um yeah and so whitman was basically saying like not only are these like shitty pieces of paper like they're as they're as worthless as like grass um and so like house of leaves you know it's a house of paper it's a house of something insubstantial yet at the same time you know Walt whitman's uh, uh leaves of grass is like considered one of the most important american books especially poetry books right. for and sure it's like absolutely you know house of leaves tells the story of this house that is one of you know uh, potentially like older than the galaxy <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's super duper old uh you know it's it's from uh, literally uh, a, you know a time that uh, prehistory has forgotten about like so it's so yeah. old 4.7 billion years ago parts of it anyway yeah, yeah, it's just. Uh, I think all of it is like in the billions. Of you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super, all of it's super old. I don't think any of the samples are even from like you know a hundred thousand years ago. They're like two billion years ago or whatever. Yeah, it's oh my god, it's just. Uh, I read something. I don't know if it was in this book or if it was in something else, but about how like our brains are just not designed to co- to, to to comprehend numbers that big. You know. Yeah. Um. And I think that that really works uh, in this instance, especially because like this house is, you know, unfathomable in its own right, let alone trying to like, you know, fathom its age. Um, And one of the things like the house is always like reacting to um, like the psychological disposition of like its inhabitants. Like, you know, we just you're just talking about like Navitson's obsession and we're talking about like you know, the more concrete answers he tries to find about the house, like the more he suffers, like the, the, the more he measures, the more he thinks about it, the more he records it and studies it and uh, gets more people involved. It's like the more he slips towards madness and there's like a bunch of like hard truths that he's like grappling with that he just can't reconcile. And then like, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I talked about it earlier, like he's suffering like psychological horror levels of trauma like the yeah. people in the, you know, the, the protagonists and stuff in the Lovecraft books. And then there's like Karen and, you know, a lot of the other ones, but I, I look at Karen specifically because she sort of loved like more or less accepts that there's like some things that are just like unknowable about the house. And it's like, it's just better off for it. And she suffers less in, right. in that department of d- the direct correlation of like, she suffers in her own way where, you know, about her relationship with Navitson, uh, that's separate from the, what she's suffering from the house. Like, uh, you know, like she's not obsessed with it like at all because she's she's terrified of it and she would rather just move on. So she suffers less because she's like, you know what, this is a noble, like the people who moved V4 probably. And she's able to like kind of like file it yeah. away and say it doesn't need to be probed. And she also interestingly, like as soon as she leaves the house, she seeks help from other people. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. as Navidson sort of like digs in deeper and even so he, yeah. he stays with Reston for a while um, yeah. after everything happens and he basically uh, lies to Reston yeah. goes back to well, the it's house. sort of like a lie it's a lie of omission uh, yeah. because yeah. Uh, they're, they're talking about like doing different things and I, I think he's almost given the impression that he's going to leave the house behind um, but then there, uh, I, I, I don't have the quote right in front of me. Um, but like, uh, the way that Reston, like, sort of like asks the question about him, like, you know, like letting it go and selling the house, uh, prompts Navidson to like leave in the middle of the night and go back to the house. Like, that's what finally, like, like Reston goes to bed after they've been up drinking. And, uh, you know, I think Navidson, Navidson writes the letter and writes the letter, then leaves. Does he leave the letter with, with Reston? Is that how Karen gets it? Do you think? I yes. Think that's what he did. I believe that's what happened. Because I don't because like, I mean, I think it's like a direct route straight from Reston's house to, to the house of mm-hmm. unfathomable horror. And Reston, um, Reston goes to the house to see him there and he's not yeah. doing well. And it takes Reston also like an hour just to like get through the door. Yeah, he just oh. yeah, just st- standing there at the threshold. Uh, you know, yeah. I think there's a lot of allegory here with like, you know, Dante's Inferno uh, and the levels of hell. I think it's like yeah. uh well, I mean, I think they even bring up Dante actually in the yep. book at some point. Uh, yep, it, it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, so, but so Navidson at that oh, point, he's, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> no, he, no, no. We just got like so. There's so much to talk about yeah. in this book. He's at the house and Reston finds him there, and he's not doing well. But uh, he, this is like when he's like watching the stuff. So like in chapter like five or something, when mm-hmm. um, we see Karen kiss. Uh, this is like when Navidson sees that happen. Yeah. Um, and then, so Navidson's there for a while, doesn't seem to be doing well, but then he seems to be doing better. And, what, uh, and again, like Reston sees him, he's like, yeah, he's doing well. He's like exercising and stuff. But what he doesn't mm-hmm. tell Reston mm-hmm. is that he's preparing to go back in. So he's like getting himself right. mentally and physically fit, gathering supplies in order to go back in for Exploration 5. Yeah. Yeah, he's already got probably he's probably got the bike and all that like planned out and ready to roll because yeah, he knows well, that he's going to like travel further uh, by pedaling. Yeah, whereas Karen is like goes to a therapist and goes to all these like famous, you know, luminaries that we talked about. And she's like, what mm-hmm. do you make of this? Like, what does this mean to you? And, you know, she gets a bunch of different answers. Mostly the answer she gets is that she's still really hot and people want to have sex with her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although Harold, Harold Bloom says uh, one of the quotes he says is, did, did you make this because of how lonely you are basically like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah which i thought was like really interesting i don't know why that's been hanging out in my head since i read that but you know she probably is lonely yeah. like he picked up on that but and i don't think she just made like, it because of that it's kind of like she's always been lonely and i yeah sometimes spent on her smile in this like last third of the book and how mm-hmm. it, well it comes up different times in the book how it's like she has she was a model and she still has like the model smile like anytime she smiles yeah. it looks like she's getting you know it looks like a picture from a magazine. Yeah. And, like and they a, said it's like an undefeatable smile or something. Yeah. And then after they, ex- she experiences what she experiences with the house, it's like she never smiles again until mm-hmm. uh, Avidson has basically disappeared into the house and yeah. he, she begins to hear him. And then it's like, but yeah. her smile is a different smile. It's like a natural mm-hmm. smile. Um, yeah. And so it's like, even there we see like a, a kind of healing has happened for mm-hmm. Karen. Yeah. Yeah, it's man, there's just like so many like tiny tiny details. Uh some so of the I ones like that I we I, could do that. Yeah, like a whole other series like on chapter by yeah. chapter. But go ahead. 
No, I was just thinking about like the you know the dream analyses, uh, uh, some uh-huh. some of which are missing, uh, of course, because all the, yep. t- I, I, the I think it works perfectly to have this stuff missing. By the way, I'm not talking about like I think that it's uh, laziness on Daniel Lewski's part. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, whether they're included or not, it doesn't change the impact. Uh, and also, some of the stuff being missing is cool because it makes you want more. Yeah. Um, I do. I do wonder who's providing the analyses because uh, we never find out. My guess is it was Zampano. Like he was trying to like psychoanalyze him. I don't know for sure. Um, but there is uh, in Dream Summary too. Uh, there's a typo that I wondered was intentional. And it's quote: "They're heading for a the hill on which lies the shell of an immense snail." Is it purposely there? Like a hill, the hill. It says literally they are heading for a the hill. Uh, which I, I thought was interesting. Right past that, which is yeah. funny. And so, yeah, I, I had to read it a couple of times to make sure I wasn't just like imagining it. And then Zampano later provides a typo where he writes parent ethical versus parenthetical. Oh, yeah. And then Johnny's like, hey, uh, check out this this uh, this typo that I'm going to leave in here because I like it. That's on page 401. But then yeah. we get like these comparisons with like snail, you know, as a home, uh, spiral staircase, snail spiral shell, labyrinth, and then also like the shape of our ears. Um, mm-hmm. Which I just, man, there's so many, there's so many things here happening. There's so much symbolism. There's so, so many ideas pulling us in like a bunch of different directions. And I, I, I just really love it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is still, you know, 20 years later, still just 25 years later, basically. Still just like such a uniquely itself book. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's astonishing too, that this was his first novel. Like, how do you, how do you pitch this to a publisher can you oh, imagine I, I, can you imagine i gotta find some this? interviews on that because i i don't i can't i can imagine this living in my drawer or a file uh at like half the quality and awesomeness uh i, I don't think i could come up with the way that this is put together uh yeah. but i don't know i don't know how you would pitch it uh you know pitching is i mean I, i've only i only have the one book uh so i don't have a lot of uh experience <laughs> like i don't have the levels of experience that you got like pitching things uh to publishers but I, I don't even know where you would start with this. Like, what is the elevator pitch? Like, right. that, that's because a thought experiment. Like, <laughs> like maybe, what do you do? Maybe part of it is just like the difference in publishing, even, you know, in the year 2000. This is probably submitted like 1998, 1999, something like that. Yeah. Um, versus publishing now. Because I, I actually don't think this could be published now. Um, and I think yeah. the kind of failure of the familiar is sort of demonstrative of that. And I think the only reason. Yeah, it's publishers only want. They want much safer stuff than what this is doing right now in the yeah, year of 2024. I mean, like, so when you pitch your novel to a publisher now, they basically want first, like, a one a one sentence pitch, and then they want, like, you know, a three to five sentence, like, bigger pitch, like, you know. And mm-hmm. I don't know how you could say this in one sentence, let alone five, let alone, yeah. you know, two pages. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't know. Like, you would have to. Um, he would have had to, in my opinion, this is just me imagining, I don't know how he did this, but like have like a mock-up of the thing already because you almost need to see a physical copy of it to really see, oh, this is different. Yeah. Um, and I, I think he did because he has a, I believe he has a graphic design background. Um, I think I mentioned at the in the first episode that I, I saw him do a reading and like I talked to him for a while and he kind of mentioned... Uh, I, I sort of even asked him like straight up. I was like, how much of like the typographical stuff 
you think is actually important to your work. And he, he basically said it's really important. Because you know, yeah. I, was, I was sort of like asking in a way, trying not to be a dick, like, you think your career is a gimmick? You know? Right. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, that's... but. That's the question, but it's not the question. Like, yeah, because yeah. gimmick is doing um, extra lifting. Uh, you know, again, we're, we're we're going back to multiple meanings here. It's a gimmick in the sense that every book he writes has some interesting things happening physically. Yeah. Um, none so much as this one, uh, because yeah. you can't even the person who created this could not follow this up with like House of Leaves 2, for example. Yeah. Um, but like. Like, but gimmick is also like the like. If you say that, you know what you're saying. You you know what you're kind of going for. Like, you know, are we gonna have weird typographical stuff for everything you do? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, and there's no way to really ask that question without sounding like an asshole a little bit. Yeah, and <laughs> like, and, and I was and like it was it was me. I mean, I didn't ask the question that way, obviously, because I didn't want to be a dick. But I also didn't necessarily feel that way at the time. Right. I just was. Um, so I loved House of Leaves. I read only Revolutions. Um, Only Revolutions is a really interesting book that I hated for like the first 70 pages and then I loved for the rest. And I think there's a space in the like at the exact middle of that book that is one of the best things you might ever read. It's really good. I'm going to have to um, see. I've I still haven't read it. It's over on my shelf um, right right next to the, uh, the, the orange one. I'm blanking yeah. on the name. 50 Years Sword. So um, yes, the 50 Years. This is when I talked to him is uh, 50 Years Sword had just been published and I wasn't really planning on getting it because um, I was like, because I saw sort of the typographical stuff on the page and I was like, yeah, I feel like a little bit. I wonder if like this is just like a crutch at this point. Um, but his answer uh, kind of convinced me to buy the book. I can't remember what he said now, but uh, it was it was a really good answer. <laughs> yeah. And then, All like, talking the, to him after They should have had a tape recorder, because uh, that's what we would have probably had at the time. We didn't have yeah. phones recording stuff as exactly as much as we do now. Yeah, because that would have been 20, 2012 or 2013. Um, yeah. So, a long time ago. But, uh, and then talking to him afterwards, I was like, all right, I got to buy this book. Even though, at the time, it was, like, $35 for a hardcover. Yeah. I was like, man. Yeah, they're, they're, it's expensive. Money. But it's, like, it's a, it's high-quality pages. Like, the cover's all textured. Um uh, yeah. it's, I can't explain it. Uh, go find it at your local bookstore if you can, because it's worth just look, just flipping through just to look at it. Yeah, and I, I do think like I don't think any of his books exist as eBooks, partly because they can't. Um, yeah, it's got to be a PDF, which doesn't work as it still doesn't work as good. But that's like the only thing you can do. Yeah, they definitely don't exist as audiobooks because that would that would that would be such such absolute nonsense. Um, like, uh, yeah. How do you like, does, does the, uh, does the reader in an audiobook of house of leaves take the, you know, like in a screenplay where it's like, yeah. like, and the narrator says the book must be turned 90 degrees to read this right. and then turn again, 90 degrees to read the, you know what I mean? Or like yeah. describe what's happening in the margins, uh, or the background or how you have to hold it up to a mirror to read the one parts or, you know. Well, so something I found interesting, um, cause I was thinking of rereading infinite, I, I didn't finish infinite chest, but I was thinking of, I guess rereading the first half and then finishing the rest of it. And I was like, maybe I'll yeah. listen to it as an audiobook. And I didn't do this because what the audiobook apparently does is it puts all the footnotes at the end. So it's like Oh, that sucks. Yeah. So it's like you read it the narrator reads the full book and then you get to the end and it's like, you know, ten hours or whatever of just like them reading footnotes. And it's like that is there there probably are people who read the book like that. Um, maybe. Uh, I just couldn't uh, because like I, the more you like when you think about it, you need to know what the footnote is 
because again, like House of Leaves, uh, it's like an ADHD person's brain where it you need to know what the what the sidetrack is when it's happening. You need to you need to be able to go on that tangent as it's happening and then get back and try to remember what you were talking about beforehand, like because yeah. that's and, the desired effect. Yeah. So like I I guess I can't see someone reading the whole book and then reading the footnotes, but I could see someone like reading the chapter and then going to the footnote, like reading all the footnotes for the chapter yeah. after. But even that is like. I don't know, this, this basically so the audiobook of infinite jest i don't know maybe it's good maybe it's great but it it seemed too uh too insane to me like too yeah. too too against the spirit of the book for me to like do yeah that. and the only way you could do that with house of leaves like part of because to some extent it's sort of a by your own volition you know what i mean like even yeah. the fact that we read the whale's toe letters at different times um the appendices are mentioned at different times throughout the book some of them are never mentioned in like yeah. the text proper. So it's like, right. Like the Pelican poems. I don't think they're ever referenced. They're never mentioned so, as far like, as I know. So uh, someone could chime in and let us know if they remember them being in there. Yeah. And but so it's like, it's like, when, like, when would you read the whales toe letters? Would you read it the first time they're mentioned or like the fifth time they're mentioned? Cause they're mentioned a few times and right. they're like, you know, go to this appendices to see what the whales toe letters are. And you know, the, there's no right answer to when you should read that, for example. But mm-hmm. because the audiobook narrator would have to make a decision of when to include those, it's like, when is the right time? Right. And the, who, we don't know. Yeah. And even like the footnotes. Uh, like, but it's up to, but like what you said, it's your own volition. It's up to you. Like, there's no, I don't think Dan Nalewski would give you an answer. Right. I think he would be like, read, read it when you, when you want to. Yeah. Which is why, I mean, like an audiobook would kind of like breaks the spirit of the book is because like the audiobook yeah. has to make a decision. Right. And even like when and to include footnotes, because sometimes footnotes happen in the middle of a, of a sentence. And I, yeah. I personally, I read the end of the sentence and then the footnote. Um, that's how we know like, that you, that's how we know you don't have ADHD uh, <laughs> because I, I read them as soon as they happen. I, 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 because that's how my, my brain works. And that's yeah. why I like, I'll be like, what was I saying? Because I'll go off on a tangent and forget the first part of my gosh darn sentence. Uh, yeah. It's just, uh, but that, but that he wants that to happen. He yeah. wants different yeah. brain types because there's so much, the house would react differently to you as than it would to me. You know right. what I and mean? That, and that's we, part of it. Like that's yeah. kind of, you know, the he's deeper because you know, there's metafiction, then there's metafiction and he's working mm-hmm. at both levels. He's, he's working at the level of metafiction that like, this is a book within a book about the book being written that mm-hmm. that's like that's one layer um johnny true yeah, it's, it's being, like like a ta- like a tautological layer you know yeah yeah and like, it's like the, johnny, the, the whole it is what it is like because like it has to be you know yeah and like johnny truant writing marginalia about a book that he found is like a, like the introduction by itself is like a different layer but then there's there's mm-hmm. like these deeper layers like um the sos knocking and how the text starts mm-hmm. to map that or um what you just said now, I can't even remember what we were just talking about. But like, oh yeah, the the way that that the way that you read the book differently is metafictionally related to the way people experience the house differently. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's yeah, it's, I, that, it's all intentional. It's all intentional. Like, I feel I feel like in a way I because keep in mind, uh, Eddie and I have both read uh, Book of the New Sun tw- twice now, right? Like, I've read it yeah. twice. Have you? Um, and so like, we understand also that Gene Wolfe is operating on a very similar kind of thing, a very intentional thing. However, uh, 
based on time, like the way that that series takes place over four books written at four different periods of time. Uh, and some things can happen in later writings that can sort of like take something that was a little fuzzy before and then like kind of give you an answer to how that was and make it look extra brilliant, you know, uh, where it may not have been, it may not have been intended that way. Uh, I don't want to get flamed by the Gene Wolfe fans because I know that they are like, this was basically a divine text handed to us by a higher being. Um, but this is operating on a similar wavelength where uh, everything is so intentional and by design, uh, like like we were just talking about, uh, because the house would react to you differently. The book, you react to the book differently, but also have this. We both agree that it's haunting and scary in parts, but like that probably feels different to you than it does to me, even though we can right. sort of come to a consensus on on that overall yeah. feeling. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> at, at a certain point, it's kind of like, you know, we've talked now for probably close to six hours about the book and mm-hmm. there's, we probably could have done this in an hour in a, in a sense, like it would obviously yeah. be a very different podcast. We could have just been like, you know, you got to read just this the book. main points. Yeah. We could've, you got to read this book because of X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah. And you know, we, we this is the six hour version we could do a 40 hour version, you know? Oh, like, easily you know, because there's sure, just so much happening at all times. Yeah. And you know, like we talked about even in a previous episode, it's like, you could just sort of do an analysis of the, um, the footnotes. Like that could be, yeah. that by itself could be like a 20 minute discussion. Like which of or these more, are real? you could do, I was thinking of a full like hour episode on, on, yeah. on footnote discussion, you know, <laughs> there you go. Um, I, the, I'm just, I'm just, I, we don't have to do that. I'm just saying you could do that. Yeah. Like each, each, you know, the appendices could be episodes. You know, the yeah. whale's still letters by itself. Just the that novella of like seventy or eighty pages or whatever it is mm-hmm. could be an entire episode. Um, that could be like that could actually be two two or three episodes. Uh, yeah, because uh, my this is my thoughts on that, for example, because I think about this stuff all the time now that we have a show and we can just put all of our stuff out and nobody <laughs> can stop us. Um, uh-huh. You, you have three stages in my the way that I read the Whale's Toe letters. letters. Uh, first stage is mom is mostly coherent, right? Yeah. Uh, second stage is she's starting to kind of like go downhill and then has a mental break. And then the third stage is she's like coming back around from uh, kind of like some of those letters are just wild. Um, like they're just they're just bonkers off the wall. And I think you could do pre- like, like, you know, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas future with those with those letters yeah. almost. And I mean, you um, could even talk about how those letters reflect the house itself, because some of the typograph typology and typography in there is not super dissimilar from some of the stuff that happens when the mm-hmm. characters are in the labyrinth. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I like, love, I mean, you, uh, all the Greek myths and all yeah i mean you could there's a lot the, to talk that about was literally scratched it's literally gone like if you if you if you read it like hey the, the you know we a lot of times people will talk about authorial intent uh and this comes out a lot of times with people who fundamentally misunderstand uh authorial <laughs> intent uh uh i'm just gonna say uh, I, i'm gonna say this because hell divers 2 is real popular in the gaming sphere and a lot of folks a lot of folks out there really really don't understand starship troopers that's all i'm gonna say yeah. uh they don't get it um uh but like you could go back and like you know uh that's a metafictional layer you know johnny truant and a character in the book house of leaves decided to bring back in the minotaur and the labyrinth stuff uh and what right. does that mean and what does that add or subtract 
from the original author's intent, Zampano, uh, the blind man who uh, had, uh, you know, a parade of women in a revolving door typing up his uh, his thoughts, you know, like, uh, I God, dude, I love this. I love this gosh darn book. I love it so much. Yeah, and, I love that I mean, there's a there's a there's a graphic novel piece about the, the scene that we yeah. hilariously talked about last time where the, you know, Reston and Navidson are down at the bottom of the stairwell uh, trying to help uh, Jed and Wax. And then all of a sudden Holloway is down there shooting at him. And then, you know, Reston fires back and Navidson's, when did you bring a gun? And then, you know, Reston, very clear in this picture here is like, are you kidding me? This place is scary. Like, that's that's funny. Like, it's funny how there's always these there's like. Yeah. real human moments of levity that would happen in real life. Like, have you ever been in like, I don't know, when I was younger, I went to haunted houses all the time that some were like scarier than others. And like, we'd be like sometimes cracking jokes to try to like ease the tension because we're like right. terrified. And I feel like that's, the, that's a very human thing to do. That's so, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the book is just like constantly working at different registers and I'm, I'm thinking about uh, the, minotaur again right now and in a sense it's like is there a theseus in this book and who is it is it navidson right or, or is it karen i mean a little bit kind of it's more karen but uh yeah. and a little bit it's johnny truant but uh yeah. you know something about i don't know how familiar you are with um that myth but like so we all know how i it have started. read it and I, I i like it yeah so it's like king um, minas and hiding yeah, his son away yeah so his <laughs> His wife has, uh, the gods are unhappy with Minos, so they make his wife fall in love temporarily with a bull. She gets impregnated mm-hmm. by it and has a minotaur. Uh, and um, Minos is so uh, ashamed of this, doubly for being like cuckolded in because his child is a monster that he hides him in a labyrinth that is built by Daedalus, like the greatest architect in the world. And something else that happens, though, first is that. Can, um, we, can I say something real quick that I just yeah. realized? Um, uh, playing through Final Fantasy VI again, uh, when you get the second airship, you're going through Daryl's tomb, and there's like a, like a, uh, there's an enemy, there's a boss enemy, and uh, I mean the the tomb is like a labyrinth, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. If you remember, there's switches, and you got to like move stuff around. Yeah. Um, and in the original, it was like his name was like Data Luma, but I think he's actually Daedalus in uh, oh. in Final Fantasy VI, which was just really cool because I played that while reading this book and having uh, been exposed to all this like stuff recently, and I was like, oh, that's so good. Final Fantasy yeah. VI rules. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but like uh, something else that happens is um, children are sacrificed into the labyrinth, basically to the Minotaur. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and not just children. Like This is how Theseus gets in there. Is he kind of like pretends to, he in a Hunger's Game-esque kind of way is like, I volunteer as tribute to like go in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he, he kills the Minotaur. Um, but like, uh, you know, that's that's part of this too is like it took how many people to die and fail in the labyrinth or i'm gonna say karen's theseus for karen to uh silence the minotaur like kill mm-hmm. take down the labyrinth you know yeah uh, so i mean it that's like another metafictional interfictional level you know <laughs> it's like yeah it's all these different things um and it's almost like you know is is the labyrinth a you know Jungian kind of like a reflection of our myths or is our myths like a reflection of it since it predates everything right like 
uh, stories of this place have, you know, been passed down, whether we know it or not, um, yeah. you know, or places like it, you know, maybe the, uh, what, what would you say, Minotian? Is that how you would say <laughs> Labyrinth? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, the whatever, uh, you know, uh, would I mean, be it's not, another, it's not pl- bound, like, it's another not, place like this. Yeah, it's you not, know? Well, like, it's not <laughs> bound by time and space, so it could be the same thing. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, uh, like... t- you know, they always, the, the whole time is a flat circle uh, kind of uh, description is, really applies to this place. Yeah, I mean, uh, the fact that a uh, quarter can drop farther than the diameter of the Earth, uh, it's like, why couldn't this also be connected to ancient Greece? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, like, you know, you know, when they always, uh, you know, some theories of time and like in Gene Wolfe's book, which we talked about, and that's the reason I'm bringing it back up there's certain characters who actually uh, time moves in the opposite direction for them. So when they meet characters, it's like meeting him for the first time, despite the fact that he's met them multiple times kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Because time just flows differently for different uh, dimensional beings. And, uh, you know, time exists kind of for us uh, on our perceivable levels is like, you know, our fourth dimension linked with height and time. Uh, But also, uh, there's, you know, one of the theories supported by some math that's way above my pay grade uh, suggests that everything that's ever going to happen and has ever happened is also happening at one time. Like it's all it's yeah. all it's all just right right now. This instant is all is everything um, probably similar to everything everywhere all at once. The movie that just came out. Excellent movie. Um, you know, I think that uh, it, it just requires you to to also be like. Uh, the characters in the book and realize there's some certain things that are like unknowable and that's okay. Um, yeah. Because the book does its fair share of giving us things that are, that, that don't necessarily have and or need uh, a, a resolution um, because yeah, life I mean, isn't like that. Not everything gets tied up all neatly and nicely. Yeah. The uncanniness is like part of it. Uh, yeah. There's even a discussion in the book about the uh, etymology of a uh, word uncanny. Mm-hmm. Just, I have just... some books sitting next to me right here, uh, written by E.T.A. Hoffman, that were uh, either influenced by uh, Freud's Uncanny or uh, Freud influence uh, the, the influence going back and forth. I can't remember which way was which, but uh, yeah, it's uh, we know what it is. It's like a, a thing that someone finally gave a a name to um, for a feeling that we've all uh-huh. had. Yeah, I mean, the book is just it's so odd. like I said, it's like you know we could we could sit here and talk forever about it, or we could just be like. I don't know what else is there to say. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm I I've, I've hit all my major points. I mean, there's I got a couple of other notes that are kind of like not all that important. They're just like oh, stuff that I thought was interesting. You know, um, uh, I, I I so some of the sketches that start on page uh, five seventy one. There's like a sketch of the labyrinth where you can kind of see it, like the walls yeah. from a three quarter overhead view. And it gives me some real Severance vibes. I don't know if you've watched that show yet. Uh, Severance, mm. I think it's on. It's either HBO or Apple TV Plus. Uh, man, that's a good show. Um, there's uh, on page 540 is where the table of contents is. It's a table of contents. I don't know if it's the table of contents, but it it's there. Um, the oh, yeah. possible oh, chapter. Oh, I, I, yeah, I wrote down where that K is that we that we're talking about. Page 545. Uh, there's a Zampano bit uh, from May 30th, 1991, where he says, quote, reminiscent of another film by my eye fell in. I like first E.Y.E., then A.Y.E. I. And then it's followed by a small handwritten looking K. But there's no footnote attached anywhere uh, or any inclination as to what the K means. And then I put you know, a question mark. 
I think I think there I think there was a K somewhere back in Yeah, I think it's earlier in the book, but we're not we're not told where to go. Like we have to read the book again to figure out where that's at. Yeah, and so yeah, it's it's elements like that that are just like bizarre. And one of the last things on page six fifty seven is like uh appendix three provides quote unquote contrary evidence, the editors, but there's nothing there. (laughs) (laughs) Well there is uh there's something there. It just, it's unclear what, uh, yeah. Cause there's like, so appendix three yeah, is, is the contrary evidence, but then you go to the next page and you're like, well, one of them is that, that page from the graphic novel. Yep. Yep. The graphic <laughs> novel. Then like the, the interior of a book where it's like just a sketch someone wrote on like the title page or the, yeah, it's like, I guess that's the title page. Yeah. And so, uh, and there's a, there's a still from exploration four and, yeah. You're, you, you're like, what? How is this contrary? <laughs> what, what is what is this evidence? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I love that. I, who, yeah. who, who who knows? Who cares? It's it's awesome. It's there. Uh, it's for you to chew on uh, to sit with. Um, and, and yeah, I, love, I mean, that's pretty. Yeah, oh, I just ahead. love I love things like that. Like even you know we talk about like the the missing the stuff that's missing. It's like, is it missing because Zampano just never put it anywhere, or is it missing because? He did do it and it got lost in one of like his mm-hmm. fits where he destroyed parts of his own work. Yeah. Is it missing because uh, Johnny lost it? You know, uh, it's, yeah. it's we don't know. There's, there's no way to know. Um, because Johnny is, is like maybe the most unreliable, unreliable narrator of all time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's probably safe to safe to say. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, uh, I both have nothing left to say and like, too much to yeah. say you know what i mean it's <laughs> yeah i don't i don't have anything really that i can add that would like make the, the the episode or the last three episodes or two episodes before this any better um i just think you should read it uh don't yeah. be intimidated by it there's gonna be some stuff that like is a lot and you can just just keep going you know yeah and that's if, what I, that's what i'm gonna recommend people do with with malazan when we get there is just, just keep going yeah if you're still here and you haven't read this book uh first why um second yeah. uh yeah the book is much easier to read than it sounds like mm-hmm. you, it, just read it like a book just like any other book yeah um it uh if you don't get grabbed in the first handful of chapters i mean i guess pass uh yeah you're able to do that yeah that's what the but, that's what the podcast is for hopefully you enjoyed like listening to <laughs> us talk about how much we like it uh yeah because that's going to happen like sometimes you just like you want to you want to like a thing more than you actually like a thing and that's okay too yeah, yeah. that's fine yeah, it is a remarkable book that I don't think we can ever really see a book like it again for right. a number of reasons. Partly because this yeah. this did it all. There's nothing more to do with this kind yeah. of thing. Well, Some here's the do, thing. like we, We've been saying that for 20 years, but at the same time, no one's proved that wrong. Yeah, I mean, some books do similar things. Um, Demon Theory by Stephen Graham Jones, which I think is getting reissued this year, maybe, uh, does similar things with footnotes and kind of like metafictional stuff. Uh, the yeah, raw he's a good the, writer he's a really good writer the raw shark text by stephen hall yeah um yeah that's a really good one some interesting similar things that book both of those books i think came out in 2006 so mm-hmm. it's been 20 years since anyone's even really well and then there's um there's a book that jj abrams was involved in it's it's called like s or something i have it I've, i haven't read it but it uh i think is similar because it ha- the difference is that it has like literal scraps of paper inside of it on mm-hmm. certain pages. Oh, that's cool. Um, and so I haven't read it, but, but I think that's the only book that's tried to do so- something like this. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll read it and 
and and and say something about it. Yeah, yeah, fuck it. Might as well. I mean, I mean, it's. I forgot about it until literally just now. So. Yeah. Well, let's maybe we'll maybe we'll read those other books, but we're gonna do Malazan next. Uh, Expect that soon. We'll give some information. I think our next game podcast will be covering uh, Limbo and Inside, uh, and uh, Rick will join us for that, and then we'll give you some more info on the uh, Fantasy Pod of the Fallen, uh, (laughs) tentatively titled. Um, and, uh, you know, we hope, we, we hope you enjoyed this. Uh, please, uh, give us feedback. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing this for, uh, for, for listeners, uh, uh, as, as much, every bit as much as, you know, just us being able to, uh, talk about stuff that we love for, for a couple hours here and there. So we appreciate yep. all the listeners and, uh, yeah, that's all I got for this, uh, this episode, uh, Edward, where, where, where can they find you? Me at radicaledward.substack.com. Nice. And uh, as always, I'm over at the Twitter slash X uh, at Joe M. Owens. Uh, So until next time, uh, take care. Adios. (laughs) See ya.